I want you to think with me this morning uh, on a very, very serious topic and a very relevant subject. I've entitled the message today, Why I Believe in Heaven. Why I Believe in Heaven. I want you to see why you believe in whatever you believe in. John, the Apostle John, is on the Isle of Patmos. He is writing what will be the last book in the Scripture. He is now to the last, next to the last chapter in the Bible. And as he writes, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words that I read to you right now. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things, praise God, are passed away. Now hold on to that. I want to go now to the Gospel of John. Listen to what he wrote in the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is speaking here now. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither you're going. Or how can we know the way? Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come to the Father except by me. And verse 7, if ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you'll know him and have seen him. Now, I want us to hold to those key scriptures this morning as, again, I try to help you to understand why I believe in heaven. I've told you, as I've done these one on stress, and I talked to you last week about the, the journey of death, and uh, many of us have gone through that valley recently where someone that we loved was absent from the body. So now What? And so in studying those things, we come across so many scriptures that help us to understand that, you know, God deals with this. He knew that it is appointed unto man once to die. So if you've never needed this in the past and you don't need it now, you will need it in the future sometime. And so I want you to listen very, very closely. There is so many things today that are going on in our world that would make us truly understand that, first of all, verbally, most people say they believe in heaven. 
most people still say they believe in heaven. By the same token, the absolute facts show that most people that claim to believe in heaven do not live their life in a way that would convince anybody that they do believe there's a heaven. They have chosen to go the way of the majority, the overwhelming majority, where whatever they do for entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether it is their financial priorities and where they spend their money, what they watch on television, the computer, the iPhone, the dress code, the vocabulary, the drugs, the alcohol, and a whole lot more would indicate that this world has chosen, even if they say they believe there's a heaven, are not letting it affect the way they live one iota. They are choosing to rebel against everything that God's word teaches. Centuries ago, a man by the name of Job asked one of the most probing questions that's ever been asked by mortal man. In the 14th chapter and verse 14, Job, a man that had great wealth, beautiful family, good health, and on and on and on, asked this question. If a man die, shall he live again? Simple question. Straight man to man. If a man die, shall he live again? Now, what's the answer to that question? And what are the options? in the answer to that question. Not a person listening to my voice that has experienced looking at the remains of a member of their family that's absent from the body and not ask that question. If a person dies, do they live again? Is that just it? Is it over with? When they blow the taps, is it over? When they close the grave, is it over? You don't ever stare at empty chairs. You never look at empty beds. Never look at who's riding in the car. If you go through that time that you don't ask that question. If a person dies, do they live again? Now I'm convinced from what study God has let me do through a lot of years I am totally convinced that Christianity is the only religion that can give us a certain word about life, death, and the hereafter. There's no other religion that's God is still alive. All of the Gandhis and the Buddhas and the Confucius and all the others are dead, buried, and gone. There is only one, and it's called Christianity, where the God that was buried through his son Jesus, became God in the flesh Jesus, buried on a Friday and rose on a Sunday and ascended 40 days after. There's no other comparisons. It's not given a second thought by other religions. It has to do most of what we know we've read in the Bible. I believe in immortality. Yes, I believe in heaven. I have many reasons for that. Some of them are real good and some of them may not be as weighty but the truth of the matter is there's things out there for us all to look at I've looked at them I'm still looking and I encourage you to do the very same thing 
Now, the first thing you jump off on if you live in America and live close to Houston is in the realm of science. Science carries great power in the minds and the thinking minds of people. And so we look at science. We go all the way back to biology 101 and carry it right on through to the the highest forms of study. And one of the things that jumps out is the first law of thermodynamics, which states that energy or matter cannot be created or destroyed by man. They may be transformed one into another, but they cannot be destroyed. In other words, you can take a log and make it into smoke. You say you can, you can transform something, but it, but it goes into another form. But science continues to help us. Einstein conclusively demonstrated at Hiroshima that no single atom can go out of existence. It only changes. Fire changes into gas. It only changes. And if man ceases to exist, he will be the only thing in the universe that does. I don't believe he does. I think he's transformed. I think the physical body is not the same in heaven. It is transformed into a heavenly body that doesn't get sick. Oh, there's a lot of humor in all of this. You don't need preachers up there. You don't need doctors up there. Not foot doctors, heart doctors, cancer. I don't need any of that stuff up there. I mean, everybody loses their job. Why? Because we're not going to have to work up there. We're just going to get to praise the Lord and enjoy who he is. And what a wonderful change happened in our life when Jesus came into our life. Isn't that exciting? Just the very thought of what God can do is just amazing to me. Everything changes from one thing to another. Now let's consider nature. I've chose William Jennings Bryan, who stated it clearly in Analogies of Nature. Let me quote him. Christ gave us proof of immortality, yet it would hardly seem necessary that one should rise from the dead to convince us that the grave is not the end. If, he says, the Father desires to touch with divine power the cold and pulseless heart of the buried acorn and make it burst forth into new life, will he leave neglected in the earth the soul of man made in the image of the Creator? No, I am sure that there's another life as I am that I live today. You know about those dead bulbs, the dead acorns and all that stuff? They come back to life. Well, if God can do that for an acorn, think what he could do for us. Created in his image. Well, there's also my travel, both here and abroad, have shown me that there's a universal longing in all of mankind for an eternity. You can go to the, to the jungles of Africa or Brazil. You can go in the far off parts of the world where there's never been a church planted And there is in those people a belief in a hereafter. Now, that's not in animals. That's not in vegetables. It's not in bugs. But it's in man. That there is something more than what is going on in the right now. And nothing else does that. Dr. Madison C. Peters in his book, After Death, What? Let me quote him. The flocks and herds on a thousand hills, the myriad forms of insect life, every winged fly and tuneful beetle, the fish that gaily sport and the gamble in the rivers and the seas, all can find the end of their being. There's not a thought of future want. 
that disturbs their tranquility. But never so with man. He only is never satisfied. No matter what his wealth, his fame, his knowledge, his power, or his earthly pleasures. He always wants more. Always looking for something different. From the king to the beggar. Everyone wants to be more blessed. It's got to get better. Things have got to change. I'm looking for something else. That's unique. The man. Well, what's the explanation? I've come to this conclusion. God has put in me and in you something that you cannot dissect it. You cannot totally explain it. You can know the symptoms of it. But God has put in our body a longing for a sweet peace and eternal life where there's peace and fellowship and no more war and no more death and no more sickness. No more dying. They're gone. You don't care what a gallon of gas goes to. You could care less what Fox News tells you on the business channel tomorrow. You don't care one iota whether the Astros go to the World Series or not or whether the Texans go to the Super Bowl. That's not your name concern. That doesn't mean you lose interest in that and have fun with it, but it doesn't compare with what's going to happen when Jesus comes. We're going to see, and we're seeing so much, you know. But today, people like to live in the make-believe. All the top movies right now, if, if they're telling me on television, there are all these things where people draw it and everything going crazy. 70 million this weekend, 90 million last week. Everybody just, I just got to go. I got to, it's all make-believe. It's all a bunch of junk, but I just love it. Here's my money. Here's my money. Y'all get rich, you know. But church, you think I'm going to come and go to heaven for free? And live forever and ever and ever and have no more income taxes, no more political parties, no more denominational affiliations. And you think I'm going to do that? Not me. I'm going to live in my make-believe world. But you know what? There's something yearning down inside of every one of us that I'm ready for the real thing. I'm ready for this foolishness to stop. I don't understand why men do what men do and women do what women do and women want to do what men do and men I don't understand all that stuff. But that doesn't matter to me. I know that life is brief and soon will be passed and only what's going to do for Christ is going to last. And that God has a plan and a purpose for every person, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's got a plan for your life that was created from the foundation of the world. It is a different plan from everybody else's life. And that's the reason when a culture is built that follows people by the thousands, they have missed it and totally... God's called you to be a leader, not a follower. And heaven is that place. Jesus is the leader. And all we do is follow the leader. It's not very hard to do. We don't have to get in alphabetical order. That would throw some of us off if we had to get in alphabetical order to get in the line because we hadn't fully understood the ABCs. But we do know this. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is a way of death. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the blazing evidence of immortality is our dissatisfaction with any other solution. Man has given up. It's making this a perfect world. But there is a perfect world that we can go to. Not made, the Bible says, with human hands. 
And Jesus is the light of the world. We will run from darkness. Now we run to darkness. We want everything dark where we go. We want the restaurant dark, the church dark, the movie theater dark, everything dark. I love the darkness. Not when we leave this life. You're going to run where the light is because Jesus is the light. And when you get to him, if you just say, well, light bothers my eyes, you better get some new eyes while you're here on earth. You better take these eyes and give them to the Lord and it'll change a whole lot of things about what you do. But everywhere you go, you feel people say, I believe in God. I believe in right and wrong. I believe in cause and effect. I believe in time and space. And you know what? Uh, most people believe in immortality when you get to talking to them in some form. But you know what? Even though it's distorted, it's real. There is going to be a life after death. Indians, American Indians, had their hunting grounds. Go to Egypt, the pyramids, the wealthiest people that ever lived. Got those gigantic pyramids. For a few bucks, you can go up there and see all their gold, all their silver, all their worldly riches. They're just there by the tons, by the tons. However, the reason they're there is the Pharaoh wants them there so he can use them in the next life. Now, can you imagine what gold's going to be worth in heaven where the streets are paved with gold? Can you imagine the price per ounce? That's all American business. But in heaven, they just pave the streets with it, you know? But it's not only the pagan people, smart people, intelligent, educated people, high IQ people. Crito asked Socrates on the night of his death, but in what way... Would you have us bury you? Now listen to what Socrates said. In any way you like, Socrates replied. Only you must get hold of me and take care that I do not walk away from you. Amusing words. Amusing words. Life after death. Don't be surprised if I don't walk away from you. Don't be surprised, Socrates says, if there's life after death. It's amazing to hear the words of infidels. Plato, in his Phaedo, presents powerful arguments for a belief in immortality. Now, that was Plato. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. Remember him, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson? For though from out are born of time and place, the flood may bear me far. I hope to see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar. Interesting how they think. The Egyptian, the Persian, the Syrian, the Babylonians, the Chinese, the Hindus, the Vietnamese. They're longing for a hereafter. However, most of them have rejected Jesus. Most of them have rejected the biblical truth of being born again and having life forever and forever and forever with the Lord. Not only do we have the universal testimony of mankind, but we have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, the Royal Professor of Law at Harvard, one of the greatest authorities on legal evidence the world has ever known, here's what he came to the conclusion of. That the resurrection was so overwhelming that in any unbiased courtroom in the world, it would be declared a historical fact. Now that is your brain of history. 
He said in any courtroom, just bring the evidence that's in the scripture and in life into any courtroom in any part of the world and present it as a legal case. And he says, not being a Christian, it would be ruled that it's true. The Bible is true. There is a heaven. There is a heaven. Every shed of evidence for the resurrection of Christ is evidence there was life after death. The late Bill O'Reilly, or at least he's late to Fox News, he said, if anyone can prove that Jesus did not rise from the grave, he will be an instantaneous billionaire. And everybody's tried and nobody's come close. You know why? Because the evidence is the other way. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Jesus said, I am he who lives. This is Revelation 1.18. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and amen. I'm so glad that I can speak to you this morning on the evidence and the authority of Scripture and the evidence that is out there. But the just still walk by faith and not by sight. John 6, 57 says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus says, Since I am who I am, you can be who you're supposed to be, but you have to link your life onto me because I'm linked onto the Father. And when you get in that situation, then and then and only then do you have a security as a believer. John 14, 2 said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Why? To get you. So where I am, there you may be also. How clear do you have to make it, folks? Why do you sit with a PhD and say, our little 12-year-old kids, I wish you wouldn't preach that to them. They just don't understand that. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. That's the reason the Bible says little children will lead us. You know why? Because a little child has a faith. They have a faith in what they love. If they love their dad, even if he's not a good dad, they have faith in him. When he disappoints them, it breaks our heart and it pays terrible dividend. But you see, when you walk with God, And you have a relationship with God. You have a faith that wherever you go and whatever you do, God is going to be there. And he wants you to win. When he he changes your course, he wants you to go on the course where you win. He wants to be a winner. He wants you to be first. He wants you to know that that is what his will is. I'm not willing that any should perish, he said, but that all should come to repentance. And the scripture is clear that those who believe in Jesus and trust him as Savior and Lord will live with God forever. That is a fact. That is a fact. The evidence of the last words of those who die, or those that die, say a whole lot about Is there a heaven? And will I go there? Or can I go there? Let me just close with these things. If you've gone through the valley or in the valley, or you're headed into the valley of the shadow of death, I can assure you 
regardless of how intelligent you think you are or how knowledgeable you are of the scripture or facts, science, or name the field, I can promise you when you get there, you're going to learn some things. And those are things you did not know. I would encourage you to, you know, if, if you want to know what actually takes place, if you know anybody that works for hospice, go talk to one of them. I don't care if they're a believer or non-believer, talk to them. Let those people that deal with death 24-7, seven days a week, tell you if there's any difference between believers dying and non-believers dying. From their point of view, is there any difference? And what happens when death comes? I challenge you to go ask them and see what they say. The Bible teaches that there is an unpardonable sin. To my knowledge, I've seen two people that I think committed that sin. That unpardonable sin means God will take your no for the last time. You may be 15 years old. You may be 25, 35, 55, 85, or 95 years old. But someday you're going to say, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't want to hear that anymore. You take that out of my room. You get out of here. And God will say, that's fine. Leave him alone. I've seen two. One was a very wealthy man. Very wealthy And I was down the hallway when he died in the hospital and he was screaming so loud you could hear him from one end of the hospital to the other. And he was screaming like he was in hell. Just screaming. And this man had mega, mega, mega wealth. The other one I saw was a simple farmer in Sulphur Springs, Texas, Hopkins County. I was pastor of a church there and I went out one day because he was dying with cancer. I spent all afternoon talking to this man. Boy, he was tough. Man, his hands looked like he'd been run over by a maintainer. You know, I mean, he was just, he had, he had a, his hands looked like hooves on a horse. They were so tough. I shook his hand. I thought I was taking it into a vice. But as I talked to him that afternoon, as simply as I could, he said to me, Reverend, he said, people have been telling me that all my life. But he said, I know people too well, and I watch their lives. And he said, there's no difference in them and me. And I don't want that stuff, and you don't need to come back anymore. I'm not going to become a Christian. I went to the church. I was preaching a sermon that night. We went to church back in those days. Y'all remember training union, Sunday night church? And the crowd wasn't all that big, but we had about 30 people there. And I was about two-thirds through my sermon. I looked up, and I looked out the window. And I saw his son with his hand up, and he went like this. And what had happened was his dad died while I was preaching that night. Those are the only two I've ever seen. But if you'll talk to people, the noted infidel Edward Gibbon, here's what he said on his dying bed. All is dark. Augustus Toplady, author of the hymn Rock of Ages, died saying, all is light, light light. Dr. R.G. Lee, the most powerful preacher of my generation, incredible, incredible preacher. He died with his daughter by his side, and his daughter told me that the last words her daddy said was that he looked up in heaven, and he opened his eyes. He had been asleep, she said, for quite a while, and he was on the bed, and he opened his eyes, and she's sitting by his side, and she said, he said, honey, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I don't have the words to describe its beauty. 
And he closed his eyes and went to sleep. I thought from that day now, if R.G. Lee can't tell you the beauty of heaven, I'm not going to even stumble through it. I'm going to let you go home. Because that man knew the language as better as you could speak it. But he said it's indescribable. Indescribable. Tommy French, my friend in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the only other pastor that's pastored 50 years of church he started. When Mary died, they had an unborn baby that uh, at birth was born, stillborn. They only got to keep the baby for a few hours and hold it. But as the, the time came for her to die, same situation. This little humble preacher's wife said, Oh, Tommy, Tommy, I see our baby, and it's so beautiful. And that. There's nothing that replaces eyewitnesses. There's nothing like seeing your faith lived out that you got from the Bible. Not from somebody else's life. Don't build your faith on somebody else's life. If God said it, that settles it. The atheist Adams, here's what he said. Demons are in the room pulling me down. If you'll talk to hospice, they'll tell you. That in the final moments, minutes, a big change takes place because there's two exits. First, there's the exit of the spirit. And secondly, there's the exit of the body. And for that spirit to leave, certain things have to be in place. And when they are, it's just like that. Absolute, absolute fact. Dr. Kubler-Ross is considered by many as the world's leading authority on death and dying. She said there's five stages of dying. Number one is denial. Number two is anger. Number three is bargaining. Let's make a deal, God. Number four is depression. And number five is acceptance. You get those? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. She said she was not a religious person. She said, I'm a non-religious person. And she, along with Dr. Raymond Moody, on an experiment of 500 dying people, here's what they said. Each of these 500 either described a place of beauty, wonder, joy, and peace, or something indescribably horrible. One of the most respected writers on the subject that was non-religious wrote that. We have witnessed 500. It's either beautiful or it's indescribably horrible. Is that not what that Bible says? Eyes have not seen and ears not heard what God has prepared for those that love him. Utter darkness, bottomless pit, Endless fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that Bible written thousands of years before this doctor describe what 500 witnesses showed to her and Mr. Moody? I'm convinced that life goes on. The question is not whether it does or not, but simply 
How will we spend eternity? And it's fun to just think about it. Let me close with the scripture. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter you into the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to eternal life. And few there are that find it. Well, how do you go? Thomas made it clear. In that 14th chapter, verse 5 and 6, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where you're going. And how can we know the way? You ready for an answer? Here's the answer. Not from the preacher, but from Jesus. Jesus said unto Thomas, the doubter, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. You say, but what about, doesn't matter the what abouts. But, but what if, it's not about the what ifs. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. And it's time for us to decide, am I going to believe that by faith or, and by facts? Or am I just going to walk away and be one of the overwhelming group? We have parables of 99 and 1. 100 sheep, but the one is important to God. The devil goes after the majority. God goes after the one. Most want to be the majority. After all, I want to be with my friends. Well, then lead your friends to Jesus. Get saved and lead your friends to Jesus. So they're not going to change. Oh, they might. If you change, they might. If if they really have any respect for you, if they can see a wonderful change in your life take place, they just might. So I want us to go away from here today thinking, is there a heaven? You bet. But the way is narrow. If I were to put my life into two sentences, be very brief. Number one, I ought to go to hell. You say, but you're a preacher. I ought to go to hell. I'm telling you. I'm a sinner. But I'm going to heaven. But not by works of righteousness, which I've done. But by his stripes, I've been healed. That's the only way you're going to get healed. You say, well, I'm looking for a new cure for cancer. So is MD Anderson. But God's already got one. It's called eternal life. If they hit, give you the wrong drug, you're going to get promoted. <laughs> you're just going to get it sooner. You're going to get mad at the doctors get let you hang around. <laughs> but let me tell you, folks, God's real. I've been there now. I've been close. And God is real. He'll send his birds to sing. He can even use a television program. Singing, the king is coming. When God wants us he comes gets us but where are you going to be you say but I've been so much I've just done no 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 by his stripes you're healed the blood of Christ cleanses from all said yeah but you don't know no I don't I don't want to know him I'm not a priest I don't have a confession booth okay I can't help you one iota but I know a God who can I know the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin you name the sin God says cured but I got cured but what about cured But I've had it so long. Cured. But they say I'm terminal. Cured. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're healed. Enter now the joy of the Lord. And that's heaven. There's a little bit of heaven on the way to heaven. But not a whole lot. But when you experience it. In the presence of the Lord. You can say wow. It'll be worth it all. Be worth it all. When I see Christ.